A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad that you have joined the program today. Uh, on the program here in just a matter of moments, we're going to talk with Eric Delbert, Executive Officer at LEPD Firearms Range and Training in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, Eric and those in the Second Amendment community in Columbus have gotten sort of a front row seat into the uh, saga of Casey Goodson, the uh, 23-year-old concealed carry holder who was shot and killed by a Franklin County deputy back on uh, December the 4th, a little bit more than a, uh, a week ago now. Um, still a lot of unanswered questions in the uh, Casey Goodson shooting. And you've got wildly divergent stories, too. Uh, you know, what, what law enforcement says is very, very different than what uh, the family uh, has alleged. And we don't have any body camera footage. There are no eyewitnesses to this shooting other than uh, uh, the officer uh, involved. Um, and we don't have an autopsy report that's uh, been released. We've had, you know, just a, a few brief comments made by the uh, coroner's office saying that Casey Goodson was shot in the torso, but we don't know if that's the front, the side, the back. Family says that Casey Goodson uh, Jr. was shot in the back three times by Deputy Jason Mead. Jason Mead says no. Uh, Casey Goodson uh, was shot when he refused to drop a gun that he had pointed uh, at the deputy. And we've been covering this case for about a week and a half. Um, I have been doing my utmost to try to be as, as fair as I can be and to, uh, uh, to try to not take sides. I, I can tell you my own personal opinion is that I'm, I'm really troubled by what happened here. And I am having a really hard time rectifying those two different stories. I don't know which one is right. I don't know if there's a blend of the truth that, you know, the family are saying some things that are accurate, the law enforcement saying some things that are accurate, but both sides are also saying things that are not true. I don't know. I don't know. What I do know is that this is a situation that a lot of gun owners are paying attention to, rightfully so. Uh, this is a situation that has uh, garnered hundreds of protesters uh, in Columbus this past weekend. Thankfully, all peaceful. Uh, and it is a topic of conversation uh, for those in the Second Amendment community, not only in Columbus, Ohio, but uh, across the country uh, as we continue to look for answers. So, listen, I, I wish I could tell you that by the time you know I got done talking with Eric Delbert, uh, that we had figured it all out. That's not the case, unfortunately. It, you know, there are still these unanswered questions. And there is a, you know, it, it, I, I cannot let go of this fact that we may never, we may never learn to our satisfaction what actually happened to Casey Goodson and why he died. We may never learn to our satisfaction what led up to Deputy Meade pulling his service a firearm and, and firing multiple shots at Casey Goodson Jr. We, we may never have the answers. And that may be the bitterest pill of all to swallow here. That despite an investigation that now involves both the Columbus Police Department, the Department of Justice, Civil Rights Division, the uh, Cincinnati Field Office of the FBI, that when all is said and done, uh, the results that come back, you know, may not satisfy uh, those of us who are unclear uh, and uncertain about why Casey Goodson died. 
So with that in mind, check out this conversation, which I promise is a good one with Eric Delbert from LEPD Firearms Range and Training there in Columbus, Ohio. Eric, thanks so much, sir, for coming on the program. It's great talking with you today. Good talking with uh, you as well, Cam. You know, I am sure that uh, the Casey Goodson saga is uh, a primary topic of conversation there at uh, LEPD Firearms Range uh, and training, as it is, I'm guessing, for for both gun owners, for law enforcement, uh, really across the state of Ohio right now. It is. I mean, it's something that uh, we we kind of saw from the beginning that this is going to be a, a big story here, both locally and nationally. And since we're involved with uh, firearms from the sale and training in and law enforcement, we knew uh, that, that it was going to be something that was going to be, that wasn't going to go away anytime soon. And, you know, it seems like you all are, are sort of in between these two worlds, both for law enforcement. I know you've got a lot of customers uh, who are police officers, a lot of experience on staff uh, from former law enforcement. At the same time, you know, you've got a lot of gun owners who have never been in law enforcement who are going and they're, they're getting their concealed carry training uh, through you all. So I imagine that, that, you know, you're able to sort of look at this with maybe a little bit different perspective uh, than a lot of folks. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we, we, we are uniquely positioned um, here at the store that when we teach concealed carry, a lot of times if retired officers or even current officers teaching it. So we, we provide a little bit of a different perspective. Oftentimes, uh, some of the guys teaching our classes talk about, you know, to these new students how to act uh, during a traffic stop if, once you have your CHL license. But then, you know, on the weekend, these team, same officers are teaching in academy classes, teaching officers how to approach that car when they know the person has a CHL license. So, yes, we are very involved um, in many facets of the whole discussion. You know, and there are, there are so many unanswered questions right now, I think, which is, uh, you know, understandable. I mean, the investigation, well, to some degree, uh, it's understandable uh, that there are still some questions. We're not going to get immediate answers. But, you know, you, you, you listen to the family side of the story and what they say happened versus what law enforcement uh, says happened. Deputy Jason Mead says, uh, you know, uh, Casey Goodson pointed a gun at him as he was driving down the street. Uh, and that's when Deputy Meade got in his vehicle and, and pursued Goodson a short distance to uh, the family home. Goodson got out of his vehicle. Uh, Deputy Meade says he gave an order to drop a gun. Uh, Goodson did not do so. And that's when he opened fire. Uh, the family story is that Goodson had his gun on him because he was a concealed carry holder. But uh, um, they say that he had a, a bag of Subway sandwiches in one hand. They had, uh, he had a face mask in his hand uh, and he had the keys to the home. Uh, in his other hand, was trying to get inside the door when he was shot three times in the back by Deputy Meade. Um, the autopsy results have not come out yet. The coroner has said that uh, Casey Goodson Jr. died from gunshot wounds to the torso, but they don't say where that was. We don't have any body camera footage. We don't have any dash cam footage. Um, you know, and, and as you well know, Eric, uh, Columbus police originally decided to uh, investigate this internally. And then a couple of days later, asked for the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation to take over. They declined. Uh, so now we've got the DOJ Civil Rights Division, as well as the FBI Cincinnati field office who are assisting the uh, Columbus police in their investigation. And, and, you know, with all of that as the backdrop, I mean, we had protests in Columbus this weekend. Thankfully, they were peaceful. Um, although I was, you know, I, I gotta say, I was a little disturbed to see that uh, there were protesters who showed up. Deputy Jason Meade actually pastors a church uh, about 20 miles uh, outside of Columbus. And there were actually protesters who showed up at that church this weekend, which I, I gotta tell you, I mean, that to me just seemed to cross a line. 
uh, at, at this point. I'm glad that they were peaceful. Uh, they were asked to leave. Apparently they did so. But uh, what what are things like on the ground right now in Columbus and how much attention is this story getting? And are people keeping an open mind or are, are they already making their minds up before all the facts are known? Unfortunately, Cam, um, we're seeing that people are already making their minds up. And like we see oftentimes in these, these tragedies, and it, and it truly is a tragedy. I mean, anytime you have a loss of life, regardless of the circumstances, it's a tragedy from all aspects. It's a, it's a tragedy for a deputy needs family who are now faced with, you know, people showing up at their church. And, and so every, every step along the way, everyone recognizes that it's an unfortunate uh, tragedy uh, on both parts. Um, the thing that, that we get a little bit upset about is the misinformation. And you are right. There is conflicting um, statements out there. But the fact that, that remain is that there are no witnesses to this shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, Columbus police continue to say that. They are encouraging people, if they have witnessed it, to come out. But to this point, there are no witnesses. So statements from, the I think, the family's attorney and some of the family that – um, he wasn't pointing a gun, or he simply had this in his hand, or not, are, are not, are not, you know, factual at this point. And I guess the 911 call from the grandmother lends itself to that. I think she said something like, "I heard shots, and I went and saw them." But there has been no witnesses to this. Um, and as you said, the the coroner's preliminary report simply shows, you know, three shots at a to the torso. Doesn't talk to you know, front, back, or anything, but the the uh, you know, dialogue out there is that, you know, he was shot three times, and heck, and even on the family's GoFundMe account, it, it goes a step further and says, you know, police have admitted they shot the wrong man, and they shot him three times in the back, piercing his heart, which is totally fabricated. So, you know, we try to get out there and, and say, look, it, it's a tragedy, but we, like everyone else, want to know the facts. And, and we have to withhold judgment until those facts are in. We, we were, I don't know if you caught the statements from uh, Joyce Beatty and Sherrod Brown here in Ohio, the politicians. Um, no. At least I don't think they I did. Were, they, yeah, they, I mean, they were reckless. I mean, Joyce Beatty, who I believe is a state senator, um, you know, her, her statement immediately after was, you know, like many in the community, I'm at a loss for words over the killing. And the circumstances are upsetting and extremely unsettling because too many black men in our community are dying at the victims of those sworn to protect them, and which is a, you know, it, it, it's not based on facts. And so we see statements such as that and say, look, we're not saying, we, we just don't know the answers. I mean, it could come out later on that this isn't a, a scenario that was justified, but we can't as a society jump to these conclusions and putting this stuff out there and you know, trying them before it even has a, you know, the investigation completed. Yeah, no, I, I, that's right. I mean, look, as 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 a Second Amendment supporter, as a concealed carry holder, um, you know, obviously there are troubling questions here. But as you say, there are questions at this point. We don't have answers. One of the things that is troubling is that we might not ever get answers that truly satisfy us. Because as you say, there were no eyewitnesses that we know of. Uh, the family... Called 911, uh, you know, moments after the shooting happened, there was another neighbor who said that he heard uh, Deputy Meade uh, yell. A sound, he said it sounded like an argument. This is, would be Deputy Meade. Uh, he says, you yeah, know, this is when he uh, uh, told Casey Goodson to drop the gun, but he didn't see the shots fired. 
So that's, you know, that that's going to be, I, I think that's one thing that is maybe um, aiding those folks who are jumping to conclusions, you know, the absence of facts, all of a sudden now we want to plug in supposition uh, where we don't have, you know, factual information, not saying it's the right thing to do. Uh, it, it may very well be human nature, but I mean, I got to tell you, Eric, one of the things that, you know, really has just struck me with this case is that, you know, you listen to Casey Goodson's family and friends and they describe a, a young man who is very caring. They say this would have been completely out of character for him to, you know, point a gun at. And at this point, these officers were in plain clothes. We now know this. So these were not uniformed officers. We don't know uh, specifically what vehicles they were driving. But, you know, they, they say this would have been completely out of character for Casey Goodson. And then you listen to Deputy Meade's friends and those who are pastored by him in that church. And they say, look, this is a guy who who cares. He's a veteran. He's a 17-year law enforcement veteran, as well as a uh, U.S. Marine. Uh, he is a, a caring, concerned individual. It seems completely out of character for him to have, you know, mistaken a Subway sandwich bag for a gun and then open fire. Um, and I believe both of those groups of people. You know, I, I see no reason right. to disbelieve those who say that uh, Casey Goodson was a uh, a kind, caring young man. And I see no reason to disbelieve those folks who say that Deputy Meade is a, a conscientious member of law enforcement. Um, and so I'm stuck, you know, like everybody else. I'm, I'm waiting for facts to emerge because all I know right now is, as you say, this was an absolute tragedy. Right. And it's, you know, it, and by all accounts, uh, Mr. Goodson, I mean, he had a valid Ohio CHL license. And, um, you know, the, the thing that I worry about, and I don't want to add to, you know, the, the, the potential stories out there, but we're seeing in law enforcement, because I'm still active in law enforcement, mm -hmm. and what, what we're seeing on the street sometimes, and I'm not saying that it occurred here, but it wouldn't surprise me if, if this is part of it, is that there is uh, almost an active defiance to law enforcement right now. Uh, um, a, a trend to argue on the street, to to challenge um, from simple traffic stops to any time a law enforcement you know gives you a lawful order, and I hope that wasn't the case here. I mean, I hope it wasn't the case where Mr. Goodson, you know, was saying, "Hey, I have a valid CCW," but was not complying, and that you know that that is all is going to be seen you know as as the facts come out, but it is it's something that we're seeing on the street more and more that's troubling them and that it's, it's not uh, you know we need the, the leaders to stand up and say look if if you're doing something wrong or if you're approached by law enforcement even if you have a valid CHL license you need to comply you know it's not that's not the time and we deal with it in law enforcement in an off-duty capacity if, if you're off-duty and you stumble upon a crime and, and it causes you to have your firearm out you know that when uniform officers arrive on the scene they don't know you from the bad guy. And so you, you have to comply. And we, we teach that in our class over and over again, that you have a valid license now to carry a firearm concealed, but you still must be aware of the fact that if you're told to drop the gun and, and with the circumstances, that you've got, you got to still comply. And again, I don't know if that was the case here, but I'm just saying this, the trend that we're seeing on the street um, is, is troublesome. And you know, I guess we'll have to wait to see the, how the facts play out. We absolutely will. Um, and, and well, and, and to that end, I mean, let me um, again, since we're, we're now and I want to make clear to the audience, we're 
we're now engaging entirely in supposition here. We're, we're now not dealing with the facts. But, right. um, you know, you talk about what law enforcement has been going through, um, you know, and I think even before the uh, uh, the George Floyd death and the protests that we've seen in the civil unrest, I mean, I think even going back to the first COVID closures uh, in March, uh, law enforcement's been dealing with a difficult job. Is it is it possible, Eric, that, um, you know, law enforcement, uh, individuals in law enforcement are are feeling beleaguered? They're feeling a little, no pun intended, under the gun uh, that that maybe they might be a little jumpy when, you know, they see somebody uh, drive by, Um, you know, how, how stressed out are law enforcement officers right now? Well, law enforcement is extremely stressed out. I mean, they, they are feeling like there's no support, and there really hasn't been support by and large. But it's almost, I think, taking the opposite effect. I think we're seeing officers on the street being so uh, conservative and, and so second-guessing at times that it's almost to a detriment. There was a video that came out uh, two weeks ago right here in Columbus. It was a state highway patrol officer who uh, stopped the car for speeding. That was stopped along a freeway. The gentleman had a firearm exposed on his hip. So, you know, in Ohio, you can open carry. Uh, if you have a valid CHL license, you can carry that concealed or in your hip in your car. But if you don't have a license, then you can't carry that firearm on your hip in the vehicle. And during the course of the stop, the uh, trooper sees that firearm, tells him that, hey, you know, just keep your hand off the gun and, you know, we'll be all right here. I stopped you for speeding. Well, it escalates. And the trooper has to call for backup, and so it becomes a two- to three-minute um, you know, interaction on the side of the road where this gentleman multiple times puts his hand on his firearm in the presence of both officers. Both officers have their, their firearms out at this point, and the gentleman at one point says, I'm done, I'm just driving away. And, you know, a year and a half ago, that the, the protocol would have been, you, you need to stop that individual who... And, during this encounter, the individual threatened to shoot the officers. In this encounter, the gentleman shut his door and drove away, and a, a short time later, they caught off the chase. So it, it, it's actually, I think, gone the other way, where, where so everyone is so um, conservative on what they're doing, it, it's, almost, uh, it's almost become a hindrance. I think, you know, they're, they're, the, the worry uh, on the street is that you're not going to get the backing um, in, in public, um, in the public eye, or sometimes from your even own department. And so officers are, are, are taking a step back. That's why we're seeing the spike in crime everywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, that much is uh, absolutely certain. Um, listen, we've only got a couple minutes left, but I want to ask you, has, has, has the Casey Goodson story, has that had an impact on uh, the number of folks who are, you know, calling your facility, asking for concealed carry training, are you seeing more? Are you seeing less? Has it uh, has it made a difference at all? No, I mean specifically on this. No, I mean we we've seen the impact uh, this year, starting with COVID and then going into the social unrest and then going right into the election. Um, our our training, our sales, every, every aspect of the business is just exponentially higher than before. The good thing is is that when people are coming in to buy firearms and who've never touched a firearm, they're then signing up for class. So we're happy to see that. I mean, we're a training facility. We want people, to, you know, to, to, to know how to use the firearm properly and to be properly trained with it. And we are seeing that, which is encouraging, uh, you know, for all of us going forward. Absolutely. Any relief uh, on the ammo situation that you know of in the near future? <laughs> Nothing good. Uh, I will tell you, we just took in about 120,000 rounds of 9 millimeter. 
Um, the price that we paid for it uh, will we'll, we'll make you sick. Um, but we chose, you know, we have a range here, we have training, so we chose to have it at a ridiculous price rather than not have it at all. So, no, there's nothing on the horizon that I can see. Now, that is uh, unfortunate. Hopefully there are some answers on the horizon in the Casey Goodson case. Uh, you know, I hope that justice is done one way or the other, but again, we need answers uh, for both families involved and for all of those who are uh, mourning the death of Casey Goodson and, uh, you know, again, this tragic situation. Eric Dilber with the LEPD Firearms Range and Training there in Columbus, Ohio. Thank you for your time today, sir. It's so good talking with you. I hope we get a chance to do this again soon. Yeah, thank you, Cam. And if, you, uh, if we can be of any assistance, just let us know and we'll keep you updated what we hear on the ground. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Eric. I appreciate Eric joining us on the program. We are going to obviously continue to uh, follow any new developments in the uh, investigation into Casey Goodson's death. We'll bring them to you uh, both here on Bearing Arms Cam and Company as well as at BearingArms.com. Right now, let's turn our attention to today's good deed of the day, our armed citizen story and our recidivist report. We will start there, actually, with a story out of Illinois where a second man has been arrested for allegedly shooting at sheriff's deputies in Champaign County. Uh, 20-year-old Jawan Brown cooperated with U.S. Marshals who found him at the home of a friend in Urbana, Illinois, on Monday afternoon. Uh, they had an arrest warrant after he was charged with reckless discharge of a firearm, as well as unlawful possession of a weapon by a felon at the ripe old age of 20. So, as it turns out, uh, Jawan Brown, known to law enforcement, because of his alleged involvement in at least three other weapons cases since August of last year. Since August of 2019, at least three other cases. Champaign County Sheriff's Lieutenant Kurt Apperson said Brown was the driver of a car that two deputies tried to stop for a traffic violation back on December the 3rd. Before they could activate their light, several shots were fired in their direction, none of which hit either deputy or their squad car. They uh, pursued the vehicle. Uh, for a, a few miles, it crashed near uh, uh, an intersection. The occupants got out and ran. They uh, were able to quickly apprehend 27-year-old Lawrence Lewis III from Champaign, Illinois. He was charged on December the 4th with attempted murder, aggravated discharge of a firearm, as well as being an armed habitual criminal. Yeah. And then uh, Jawan Brown developed as a suspect by police the day of the shooting. He had a warrant issued for his arrest. Detectives spoke with Brown on Monday of this week. He admitted being in the car that fled from deputies, gave no explanation as to why. Uh, as for those previous incidents that Jawan Brown was involved in, according to the News Gazette, court records show that Brown is currently on probation in two separate cases. He has a third pending related to a shooting in downtown Champaign on August the 8th of this year. It was August of 2019. He pleaded guilty to have a handgun in January of 2019. He was sentenced to 30 months probation. And then he was arrested again in November of 2019 for aggravated discharge of a firearm. Arrested about three weeks after that, so that would be December of 2019, for aggravated battery to a police officer as well as unlawful use of weapons. He pleaded guilty in June of this year to the aggravated battery to a police officer charge. In exchange, he received 30 months of probation. The other charges were dismissed. So he's actually received probation twice now over the past year for uh, separate offenses. Uh, if convicted of these most recent charges, he does face a mandatory prison term. Uh, but again, one has to wonder why just now is the uh, system getting serious uh, with Jawan Brown, given the repeated run-ins with the law just over the past, you know, 12 to 18 months. Uh, our armed citizen story of the day from Baltimore County, Maryland, not Baltimore City, mind you, 
Uh-uh. But Baltimore County, I got to tell you, it's rare enough to have a an armed citizen outside of the home in the state of Maryland because of the restrictive concealed carry laws that are on the books in the state. But the Baltimore County police responded to a shooting at a parking lot in a Walmart uh, just a few days ago involving uh, an individual who was acting in self-defense. Uh, Baltimore County Police Spokeswoman Officer Jennifer Peach said it was about 5.30 Sunday afternoon. Uh, officers called uh, into a, a Walmart in the Rossville, Maryland area. When police arrived, they said they found Kamar Jamar Bernie suffering from a gunshot wound to the upper body. Uh, police said that Bernie was transported with life-threatening injuries to Johns Hopkins Baby Medical Center, where he later died. He had apparently arranged a meetup in a parking lot with a man... Uh, you know, this was like an online sales app. So they 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 met. Uh, Bernie was supposed to be selling a, a pair of shoes. During the transaction, according to police, Bernie attempted to rob the seller. That seller then pulled a handgun, shot Bernie once, called 911, remained at the scene. Uh, police said in a news release, investigators uh, interviewed and released the seller, who is cooperating with the police investigation, once detectives from the Baltimore County Police Homicide Unit have concluded their investigation, the case will be reviewed by the Baltimore County State's Attorney's Office. Um, the Baltimore Sun doesn't say whether or not that individual who's acting in self-defense was licensed to carry a handgun. I'm very curious to see whether that was the case and whether that will impact the charges, given that this individual appears to have been acting in self-defense. Maryland is one of the few may issue states remaining in this country where your right to keep and bear arms is not enough for you to actually bear arms. The state of Maryland requires that you demonstrate some sort of justifiable need to carry a firearm in self-defense, and it's my right, doesn't apply. Um, I, I want to be able to protect myself. I live in a bad neighborhood. That that That's not justifiable need. You need to be able to present some sort of specific ongoing threat against your life or some sort of special set of circumstances that places you above the average citizen in order to exercise the right of the people to bear arms. Yeah, I've got my issues with uh, Maryland's carry laws. And again, I'm, I'm very curious to know whether or not this individual who appears to have acted in self-defense was a concealed carry holder or whether that individual chose to disregard the law because they wanted to act in self-defense. They had no other way to do so. So we'll definitely keep our eyes on this story. We'll bring any more details as they become available. Uh, finally today, our good deed of the day from Orlando, Florida, where a TSA officer in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to help a uh, traveler there at the uh, Orlando International Airport. Officer Kenneth Ordonana was having a uh, coffee break. It was around 5.30 in the morning. A member of the airport's cleaning crew then runs over and uh, tells the uh, TSA official, hey, listen, we need some help. There's, there's somebody who uh, is not breathing. So uh, Officer uh, Ordonana said my initial reaction was shock. He said, is this really happening? He said, 100 thoughts raced through my mind, not knowing what to expect. So he runs to the bathroom where this uh, unresponsive traveler was. He says, I'm ready to dial 911. I had my phone already in my hand. Uh, he got in there, realized, okay, yeah, this, this no, guy's not breathing, didn't have a pulse. So he immediately began CPR on the phone with 911 while he's uh, performing CPR. Uh, soon thereafter, a Delta employee, who was a certified first responder, joined Ordinana in performing CPR on the individual. Uh, he says he was happy to have the extra help since the CPR certification was not up to date, and the Delta employee's was. He said, life is precious. He said, although I do not know this man, never met this man before, 
I had tremendous compassion and empathy for him. The only thing on my mind was I wanted to get him through this and for him to live. After about 10 minutes, first responders arrived. The man had a pulse, was breathing on his own. When medics took him to a hospital, uh, Orlando Deputy Federal Security Director Greg Hocko says the man would not have made it the 10 minutes it took for additional help to arrive without Ordinana's actions. We're proud that he's a member of Team NCO, his quick thinking and care of others, especially during the current environment of distancing, saved a man's life. So there you go. In the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. DSA Officer Kenneth Ordinana there in Orlando, Florida. We thank you for your very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program, as always. Uh, lots of ways to find us, by the way. Uh, YouTube, Town Hall Media, just look there. We're on Rumble now as well. You can subscribe uh, to Rumble, Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. You can find us. Uh, also on uh, Amazon Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, probably some others, too. I just can't think of them right now. But that's a lot. So... Make sure you uh, spread the word. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss a program. There is a, uh, I'd say about a 20% chance that we will not have a show on Wednesday. We've got some winter weather coming in and it might make travel hazardous. But as of right now, the plan is we will have a show on Wednesday. Just don't freak out. If I'm not here, we'll be back Thursday if that happens. But uh, right now, plans are live, well, not live shows, but new shows each and every day this week. Live to tape. Try not to do the editing thing. Until we talk again, be well. See, I would edit that part out. But we try to do it live to tape. Until we talk again, be well, be safe, be free. We'll see you soon with more Bearing Arms Cam and Company.